0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm Hannah May and this is Flying Faith Talks, Biblical Counseling for the Creative Mind. Today's episode was originally recorded on March 8th of 2023. This is episode number 19 and this is a book analysis of Chris Wachter's The Sorcerer's Bane. So today's focus for our review is actually going to be extra special because today On flyingfaith.org, I am going to be starting this brand new program. I am not simply just going to review their book and tell you if I like it or if I don't like it or what to watch out for. In this review and future reviews, I am also going to be examining the heart of the author behind the book. And to explain what I mean by that, I'm formally a video game reviewer. I am used to acting as the critic, and usually the critic's attention is all on the product and is all on what makes them bad, what makes them great, and so on. And we get a lot of that for a lot of other things like books and movies, so on. And there is a lot of good to reviews, especially to customers or potential customers because people want to know, is this going to be worth my time? Is it going to be worth my money? Basically, the work of a critic is to help service the customer or the potential customer. However, I feel like reviews, they can sometimes... I think I'd be remiss to not admit that sometimes we critics relish the position that we hold over other people. I mean, they're literally offering essentially their heart and soul to us. And it is basically up to us whether we're going to like spit all over it or we're going to like lot it to the heavens. And it's either incredibly elevating or incredibly crushing. But it's usually all centered around the reaction to the specific work itself. And there's very little advice or encouragement given to the artist or the person who produced it. But, you know, as I was considering uh, many of the biblical principles that we learn from both the Old and the New Testament, we know that as Christians, we are to be honest when something is wrong or something could be better. Yet we're also supposed to be encouraging and lifting one another up in love. And so I feel like reviews, they fall short in the lifting others up category. Not to be lying, you know, about a product. Like if there's a problem, there is a problem and it should be addressed. But they don't usually give the person who made the product any sort of constructive means of going forward and lots of times they don't speak encouragingly either I mean first thought in my mind for a comparison like think of the nostalgia critic online I mean he's a bit foul-mouthed sometimes and there are some cases where I feel like while he makes great points about the movies he critiques I can't help but feel like sometimes he's a little bit snarkier than he needs to be and maybe a bit more mean-spirited than really he should be Once in a while, he will give an encouraging comment to a movie maker or an actor, but lots of the times he's just panning them because they didn't do something right. But he's not exactly telling them anything that's going to help them move forward. So, I mean, granted, some of the movies he reviews are ages ago. Maybe some of them are dead by now, but (laughs) you still get my point, though. There's his honesty, but yet he's not exactly offering anything encouraging in terms of how they may grow and their growth potential and what is their talent how can they really exemplify the areas where they really shine so to steal some literal words from the nostalgia critic we have flying faith talks let's take it one step beyond let's not just talk about the good and bad in a book but let's talk about how the author is talented where their gifts are and a word of encouragement to see them move forward in their craft because we need more and more creatives Making stories like this, especially in today's world. And we need to keep them encouraged while at the same time pushing their skills into excellence. And so let's kick into this with Chris Wachter's The Sorcerer's Bane. Now, Chris Wachter, she was a guest on my show, and we've actually become good friends um, after we met doing the podcast. And uh, man, she's an awesome lady. And well, this is the first book in her The Seven Words series, and this is a fantasy dark fiction. And She self-published this also, you know, good for her. It's not easy self-publishing. And the original release date on this book was February 16th, 2018. So one of the fun surprises I had as I started having guests on this show was several times when those guests, you know, we hit it off so well that they decided to surprise me by sending me a signed printed copy of their books. How amazing is that? And how generous, too. So Chris Walker, she wasted no time sending me a copy of uh, The Sorcerer's Bane. And, of course, I went right into it. And I just decided I was just going to read this right away. I mean, especially when it was like one of the first books to end up in my mailbox lately. So to give you an idea of the story, let's read the back cover here real quick. Um, it starts with this pretty cool caption. It says, Raised in darkness... Called by light, a young slave boy challenges the might of a demonic sorcerer. And then it goes on to say, Know this, you are my property, my slave. My word shall be your law. Can prophecy be thwarted? Sigmund, ancient sorcerer and wielder of heavy magic, believes he already knows the answer. After all, what chance does a weak, voiceless slave boy have against the power and might of the demon's growing darkness? But what the sorcerer fails to realize is that the one has already claimed the boy and placed within his spirit a glowing ember of light in a world of abuse and violence. Seven worlds linked by mysterious wormholes called skipping lines, seven sealed words of light hidden in time, and one air of prophecy called to reclaim the words and bring the light of truth. So here we have a, one of the most unique worlds that I have seen in stories in a while. It's really interesting to me because this is story has like this combination of sci-fi and fantasy that's pretty unique to them. And it's mostly feels like a fantasy because you got the castles, kings, queens, lords, dukes, and you also have sort of that fantasy magic flavor as you're getting out of the story here. But yet what kind of pushes it into sci-fi is how they talk about these different planets are connected by wormholes. So you can be in like this world that's kind of Tatooine-ish and it's got like a bunch of sand and everything. And then you can jump a link and then you go into this other world. That's probably a little bit more like classical sort of England, European sort of area. Chris Walker, you really get a good feel for how much heavy work she went into building this world when you just open the book I mean, she's got all kinds of maps. She's got the, um, uh, let me see if I can open this right now. I mean, I'm sure I could read some of this a little bit. Like, for example, she's, uh, here are some of the seven worlds that she has written in the Ocean System. She calls them Ocean System. So it's like, there's Amathea, there is Arisima, Corillus, Galseria, Namora, Soriol, and Veres or Varese. Um I'm not sure how she's pronouncing it, but it, it's there. <laughs> And that immediately appealed to me from the very beginning. I mean, even if you guys, if you watch the podcast that she guested on, that was the podcast titled God Deus Ex Machina. You know, we were going over the topic of whether or not God is a Deus Ex Machina in fiction. And if you have not listened to that podcast, I highly recommend it. Again, I tout it as one of my personal favorites. Uh, But anyway, back to the topic. You know, she was sharing with me more and more of her book, and she even reads the first page for me. And I was like, wow, that sounds so interesting. I'd like to try it out. And thankfully, in terms of the setting and in the world, it did not disappoint. I was very thrilled with all of the different locations and places that the story has. And on top of that, all the history that she put into it as well. I mean, for some someone like myself, I love books like Lord of the Rings. Tolkien is my all-time favorite author. And um, I'm not going to say that she reached the same like crazy levels of lore as Tolkien had, but the level that she did have is incredibly hard to put together. And I can tell that from personal experience. Plus, she also had a great feel for all the different kinds of customs, different locations would have, you know, different types of government system, as well as like a main council. I guess you could kind of call a federation. I don't know if it was called a federation in her book, but you know it's it feels like someone taking star wars and then mixing it in with a little bit of narnia if that makes sense. <laughs> so that that was really neat. Also many of her characters are quite likable. If I were to talk a little bit further into the story just a little bit. And again, I'm in these reviews I'm going to like not give egregious spoilers of any sort. But anyway, um all of her main characters are quite likable and all of her Villains are quite detestable, and that's perfectly fine. Well, I guess you could argue one villain is kind of like set up as somewhat more of the complicated sort of sympathetic villain. But majority of them, are, they're pretty nasty, pretty nasty characters. And, you know, it's it's sometimes it is good to present the black and whiteness of that. Because, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. There's a difference between sinfulness and non-sinfulness. and So it's good to see that line being clearly drawn rather than the constant gray area mentality that our modern world seems to have and so getting into a little bit more of the story itself uh, the plot basically is about a kidnapped prince who is basically forced into becoming this villain's assassin and there's this whole big plot about using this kid the prince to essentially eventually murder his mom and dad the king and queen And again, that's not really a spoiler because that's mostly in the beginning of the book. That's like the big setup of the whole thing. And personally, I love it. You've got all these questions running around in your head. is like, is he going to kill the king and queen? Is he ever going to figure out he's actually the prince? And so on and so forth. How is he ever going to get out of this situation? And that's a really, really good setup, which is something else I think Chris did pretty fantastic, especially at the beginning of the story. And throughout the story, Ren has to undergo some pretty harsh conditions, pretty terrible I mean, if any of you are even like have an inkling of awareness to the kind of treatment some of our American POWs went through in, during World War II, uh, then you're going to get a pretty good idea of what level of disgusting, debased situations Wren is put in. And it can get a bit much. So already right off the bat, I'm just going to emphasize if you are squeamish in any way, this book is probably not your cup of tea. There's even places when I was just a little uncomfortable. I mean, I've read worse as far as violence is concerned, so I don't think it's the most violent thing I've read. But I know that if someone like my mom, who is a bit more sensitive to such things, uh, read that, she probably would put the book down. So there you go. If you don't like traumatic stuff going on for long periods of time, skip the Sorcerer's Bane. It's probably for the best. However, those of you who really enjoy a darker sort of fantasy, this thing would definitely be up your alley. Now, if I were to point out things that kind of got in the way of my immersion, you know, my experience of the narrative, though, um, it mostly kind of came down to presentation. And in some cases, it felt kind of like there were too many stories going on at the same time. Uh, What I mean by that is a lot of times there would be a new development in the story That would kind of change the game. And I felt like, ooh, this is going to be an interesting thing. Where are they going to go from there? And then it has a sense of a rising climax and then a good conclusion. But these rising climaxes and follow-up conclusions, I mean, sometimes they don't lead to anything long-lasting, consequential, and sometimes they do. But I kept feeling like, it felt like a little mini story arc that was just crammed in there within a few chapters. And part of me felt like that was a bit of a shame because I was reading some of this and I was thinking, you know, if this section of the book was expanded to be its own book, that'd be pretty good. It'd be a really good, sweeping, very experiential narrative. Um, But because it's crammed in here, I feel like I'm just watching a bunch of teeny weeny minisodes that had the potential to become one big episode. If, that makes any sense you know I I just again I keep getting this feel of a three-act structure that is being rushed along with these sort of segments that's how I personally felt about it but I mean it wasn't like a bad thing per se I I wouldn't say it's necessarily bad so I mean I suppose if you really like a fast-moving narrative I I don't think you'd mind I mean I guess I prefer things moving a little bit slower with a narrative and feeling like I have one big um, beginning middle climax and end rather than up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of like a yo-yo. <laughs> all, all laughing aside, um, I suppose that's really more of a personal preference on my end. So I don't really think it's something that necessarily has to be fixed. But yet speaking of things to be fixed, um, and I'd like to share areas that I would love to see Chris um, continue to grow in her skill. First of all, it's in the amount of the showing versus the telling. Now, any of you who are listening to this podcast and are not familiar with the principles of showing versus telling, uh, essentially, in a book, you are showing when you are having the reader experience something with the character. And telling is basically the equivalent of expositioning. To give a quick idea of what that is, you know, because honestly, when I first heard about showing versus telling, in books I was like thinking what are you talking about it's all telling it's words it's all telling it's words what are you talking about <laughs> so, uh, no it's more like instead of the book saying Chris bought coffee you have a scene where Chris comes up to the counter and smells the aroma of the coffee beans plinks the coins on the, on the counter and then receives the beverage you know more or less you know you're actually kind of experiencing the process of the coffee being given you know that sort of thing Uh, Now, I know there are some authors and teachers who are emphatic about you always show, you never tell. Um, I personally don't think that's very fair. um, Because personally, I think that in writing, there is a place for telling sometimes. Because sometimes if you really need to move a story forward, you can't spend forever describing someone buying coffee. Yeah, it's, it's not really that important hearing and feeling all the images and the imagery of buying coffee when there's a villain to be slain. You know, so it's like you want to show the scenes that matter the most and you want to tell the scenes that need to move along a bit quicker so you can get to the showing. In Chris's case, though, I felt like she did an awful lot of telling and in a lot of areas where I felt like, oh, that would have been so cool to actually experience. You know, like instead of telling me about Ren's victory that day, why not show it to me? Let me Feel the rise and fall. Let me let me feel Ren being beat down and the, by these bullies and then kind of rising to the occasion and having a little moment of victory, you know, before he gets inevitably punished by his overseers. I kind of, it's like, that's just a small example, but there are many other places, you know, where I felt like, oh, I, I wish she would show it and not just tell me about it, you know? So, um, because to me, Chris's imagination for those scenes, that sounds great. I was thinking oh, I want to see that. I want to feel this scene. And I kind of felt like, you know, she wanted to sh- show me the scene, but it, she didn't quite show me the scene. So just in, just encouraging her, your ideas are great, uh, more or less. I just want to feel it more. Just experience it with your characters more. You know, I just really want to get into it. And then the next thing that I would really encourage her in, you know, to, in how she can grow in her writing and take it to the next level is basically watching how many times she repeats things in her dialogue. What do I mean by that? Well, how about I just read a passage from her book and then I think you're gonna get the idea. So here's a piece of dialogue from our main villain in the story. I think she is more. Your reaction when Ponce threatened her earlier today was quite revealing. It helped me to appreciate just how important she is. You see, dear boy, though I enjoyed your show of surrender this morning, It was quite marvelous. I have come to the conclusion your actions were nothing more than a sham. But your concern for this girl, ah, now that I believe is real. I have a theory. My theory is that you value her life more than your own. Now, on the onset, it doesn't really sound that bad. And it really kind of in and of itself isn't. But if you kind of notice in the dialogue, he basically is reiterating the same information in three different ways namely the fact that he figured out that this character matters to Ren you know you have your sentence the opening one I think she is more and then the one following is your reaction when Ponce threatened her earlier today was quite revealing and followed by it helped me appreciate just how important she is and then I've come to the conclusion that your actions are nothing but a sham but your concern for this girl was real And then my theory is that you value her life more than your own. Uh, You kind of see what I'm talking about here. Um, It's three different ways of saying the same thing. And it's not like any of the sentences are bad. None of them are bad. And I'd even argue, you know, it's not so bad to repeat the same information close together in certain situations. But the thing that really kind of started to grate on me is that she would do this in just about, 80% of the dialogue. 80% 80 of it was taking a single piece of information and then finding like three to five ways to reiterate it within the same paragraph. And sometimes that even happened in her imagery and in her uh, prose. You know, she would give a certain amount of information about something, you know, maybe it's a rule or maybe it's about an event going on. And then she would like repeat the reasons Four times, So I felt like every paragraph I'm reading, I'm just kind of like hear a broken record for about five seconds, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Um, So, and sometimes though, and this is a guess for me, just a guess, but it feels like she had so many great ideas for how to describe something, or so many great ideas how to write a character's dialogue, that she couldn't pick just one, and she decided to include them all. Um, Again, that's just... An assumption and I may be wrong and you know who knows but again you kind of see what I'm saying here they are all great lines I just felt like she needed to pick just one so I would encourage her to you know if she doesn't already have a group that she trusts which I'm pretty sure she does when they go through her book and they beta read you know if she has a hard time picking and choosing which of these to use then maybe others can help her decide or others can help her move forward because they're, they're all fine on their own. It's just I would have liked them each to be on their own. <laughs> that That's just the feel for it. I guess other minor things, uh, I, I don't consider these as like major deal breakers, is I, I kind of felt like some of the characters were a little underdeveloped in certain ways. Not all of them, but I mean, again, I really liked the setups that she had for these characters. I love the backgrounds that she has for these characters. Um, I just wish that the story that she told allowed me to discover these things about their characters. Because a lot of times their backgrounds um, were delivered in an expositionary way rather than an organic story way, if that makes any sense. You know, it's kind of a difference of someone sitting down and saying, hey, you know where I come from? So and so and so and so versus a person seeing something on their back or something in their belongings and coming to the conclusion they must have come from this or they show a skill set that's only from a certain area or so on I, i mean again it's all it's all circumstantial whether or not a telling form of the backstory is appropriate or a showing form of the backstory is appropriate it's just i felt like with Kind of like what I mentioned earlier about the balance between showing versus telling. Again, it's really hard to find. I felt like Chris really leaned on telling a bit too much. And I would have loved to kind of discover her character's backstories rather than having it being given to me on a silver platter. Um, So, I mean, that's just how I felt. Anyway, those are areas that I felt like she can definitely grow in because everything else pretty much worked pretty well with me. And one last thing I forgot to mention, uh, as far as something to that Chris, he, she can work on, is, you know, how the villains run their plan. I mean, the big plan of the villains is to take the prince, brainwash him, and make him eventually assassinate his mom and dad. However, you know, they put him through so much of this horrifying stuff, you know, like breaking him down. In fact, there are certain points when, honestly, he should have died 50 times over, and I keep thinking in the back of my head, uh, you know you want him to be fit and able to kill a powerful queen and king, right? I mean, why you, I know you hate the kid because he's the son of your hated enemy, but uh, isn't whipping him and beating him down to a pulp kind of backwards to your plan? I mean, how is he supposed to fight anybody if you put him to the brink of death all the time? And I found it a miracle that he was even able to function properly or even live after like the first few experiences. So, I mean, I kind of personally thought it doesn't quite make a lot of sense, but I mean, it is what it is anyway. I mean, that's just another little side nitpick I kind of thought of, you know, as like, we, we want to try to make the villains' motivations make sense as well as their actions make sense with their motivations. So I just kept feeling, feeling like the villains were sabotaging their own plan by constantly abusing Ren to a point where, you know, he was dying, essentially. It's like, uh, you do want him to do your big revenge mission, right? Because I don't see how this is helping him in that respect. In fact, I think it would have been more effective if they treated him well. You know, it's like make them think that they're his friends, and then he's going to willfully do it. But uh, no, they decided they're just going to, oh, we're just going to starve him to death. That'll, that'll teach him. And it's like, yeah, and then you don't have your assassin. So anyway, that's just, that's just a little extra thought. And before I wrap up this part, I should probably mention just a few more content warnings. You know, aside from the violence that I've already mentioned earlier, you know, if you're sensitive, you probably don't want to read this. Um, other areas to consider is also that some very tough topics are brought up, which, by the way, I <laughs> I want to applaud Chris Rockter again for her willingness to address these sorts of things, because uh, I don't know about you, but I have a personal respect for any Christian author out there who has willingness to get gritty, you know, to actually have the grit to talk about tough things. But as a result, it does make it a little bit inappropriate for certain age groups So if you don't want any sort of sensual topics coming up for your teenager or your little one, you probably want them to skip this for now. You know, at least wait till they're older or until you're at a point when you feel like they're ready for tough, sensual topics. And there's also some magic in the story, as you probably kind of caught on to when I first read the blurb. For me, from what I could tell, this type of magic is very fantasy style. It doesn't really have much of an occult sort of, Feel to it or a cult flavor. It's really quite more like the bippity bobbidi boo kind of style of magic. So it's kind of there for flavor, it's there for fun. Uh, but of course, if you don't want that period in your reading or in your kids' reading, teenagers' reading, uh, then Sorcerer's Bane also shouldn't be for you. But if you don't mind a grim, dark story, and if you don't mind some fantasy magic fun and are okay with some sensual, tough topics, then this book will be for you. you. You will enjoy this. Which now brings us to our final conclusion. And, you know, the thing that I really love Chris as an author for and as a fellow sister in Christ is that despite all the terrible dark things that Wren goes through, and it's pretty debased what he's put through, um, it's, the, it's the narrative of hope that underlies the whole thing. And, in fact, if I were to wager a guess... I'd say that the whole book is basically Romans 5, 3 through 5, exemplified in story. And let me me go ahead and read it out loud. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces patient endurance, and patient endurance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that right there, it describes Wren's journey. He is afflicted, and he's put through such situations where he can literally has to learn how to pray to the one. And the one in the story basically acts as the biblical God. Um, and he has to learn when he's being beaten down and whipped that he is, like, silencing out the noise outside to pay attention to the one and find hope in that. And that was a really, really good um, virtue. And I felt like it was very well represented along with um, the message of the growth and maturity that God sometimes produces out of suffering. You know, sometimes our suffering leads us to repentance and faith. And sometimes if we are already repentant and in the faith, it draws us into a greater maturity because, you know, if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you all the time and you are suffering through something, the only way forward is to grow more mature in your faith and in the word. So I felt like that was very well demonstrated in the Sorcerer's Bane. I'd like to read a passage real quick from Chris's book because this particular passage really does capture the heart and soul of the message and that. In the Christian faith and with our faith in Christ, there is always hope despite the suffering. There's always that sign that no matter how far we fall or how degraded or stripped of our dignities we may become, there's always that hope that we have in him. Uh, So I'm going to read this real quick, and this is Wren first speaking. If you wanted me to be your light bringer, why didn't you protect me? So I could be pure, unstained, worthy of being your light bringer. The small interior voice spoke. No one is without guilt. No one is worthy. The Son alone is without guilt. The Son alone is worthy. He makes you worthy by taking your guilt and giving you His righteousness. And so, Chris Walker, hopefully, I hope you be listening to this episode. I want to applaud you for creating such a vibrant, well thought out world, (laughs) I should say worlds, actually. (laughs) And I want to see you continue to blossom and grow as a world builder. You know, because world building is a skill in and of itself, even among writers, not every writer is like every writer has to create characters, but not every single writer has to do a whole world and you were doing like seven of them. So I want to applaud you for that kind of skill and talent that God has gifted you with and how you're using that talent and skill to emphasize the story of hope through the worst suffering and what that leads to. And as as you continue to grow as an author, I, of course, certainly encourage you to be able to take the things that I mentioned today, whether it's talking about doing a little more showing, a little less telling with your story and also taking uh, out some of the more repetitive aspects of some of your writing or dialogue, um, you're really going to skyrocket. I mean, you have the potential to be another Tolkien. I'll bet you anything. You've got the potential to be another Tolkien. And so I would actually encourage you the same way that I would encourage Wren with another verse from the book of James, James 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If you continue to endure in your skills and to further everything, Chris, you will not lack anything. For Christ is in you, and I am proud to call you a sister in Christ. May God bless you, and... Guys, if anything I said about the sorcerer's bane fascinated you, really go pick it up. You'll find it on Amazon. Get a print copy, get an ebook copy, whatever. And guess what? Again, this is part of a series. So there's also after the sorcerer's bane, there's the light arises and the deceit of darkness and the light unbound. I haven't read those personally, but I mean, if you enjoy the first book, no doubt you're going to enjoy the rest of them. So thanks for listening, guys. And I will be back again soon on Flying Faith Talks. <music> Thank you so much for joining me on this special Flying Faith Talks book review. And hey, if you would like me to review another book on this podcast, or perhaps you're a Christian author and you are seeking free, constructive advice and encouragement like what you've heard today, then submit your ebook or audiobook to celestialflyingfaithoutlook.com. One more time, that is celestialflyingfaithoutlook.com. And include it under the subject line, review request. And let me also give a quick reminder, no erotica. Okay, I do pretty much any genre, but no erotica. Also, if you are listening to this podcast and you like what you hear, feel free to visit me at flyingfaith.org. We have so many great articles and web pages for you to check out, including stuff on my book where you can buy it, learn more about it. Or if you subscribe to flyingfaith.org, My subscribers receive exclusive newsletters every month, and even currently right now, they are getting weekly reports on my current work in progress. So if you would like to have a behind-the-scenes, direct look into what's going on each month or what I'm personally doing, then once again, subscribe to my free newsletter on flyingfaith.org. You'll find the page. You can't miss it. All right, thanks, guys. That's all for today. Be safe, God bless, and see you later.